Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. As Keith said earlier, if you're a visitor, if it's your first time here at Regent, or you're back again, having been in the past, it's fantastic to see you. And uh, we're just really excited to be together today to worship God and to celebrate his goodness to us and to engage with him as we read and study the Bible together this morning. Now, when you spend some time with another person, whether that's in your family or whether it's at work or whether it's in a church setting like this, in a church family, it doesn't take long before you become aware of the other person's failings. If you were to spend a week with me, and just ask Ryan, he spent eight years of, of weeks with me. If you were to spend a week with me, I guarantee that you would become very aware of my failings and my failures. I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, I love Jesus. I'm a full-time church leader, but I can guarantee that if you spent enough time with me, or probably not even enough time, just any time with me, that you would quickly see all kinds of flaws and inconsistencies. And when we see flaws and inconsistencies and failures and failings in other people, it can be really tempting to be judgmental towards them or about them. My natural inclination when I see people behaving wrongly or badly or exhibiting flaws and inconsistencies is to be judgmental towards them. My natural inclination is to focus on their faults and to, and to be critical about them and to be condemning about them. That is just my default. I find myself having to fight against being like that and doing that. So if you spent enough time with me, the ironic thing is that you would discover my very failing and fault would be to be condemning and judgmental about, probably about you. That is just what I have to fight against amongst my many, many failures and failings. And it's so easy to find ourselves either criticizing other people or even sometimes having a go at them directly, pointing out their wrong behavior or the flaw in their character. It's just something that we find ourselves drifting into because if you spend time with people, you will quickly become aware of their faults and failings. It's just inevitable. And that happens whenever people interact with each other. If you put two people in a room, sooner or later, one of them will behave in a way that the other person has a problem with. It's just inevitable. It's what happens. And the temptation is to be judgmental towards them. Every family is like this. Every office I ever worked in is like this, apart from obviously Ryan and I's office. And, and every church family is like this. It's, it's just what happens when you get a group of people together. But church families are meant to be different. Church families are meant to be, they're often not, but they are meant to be significantly and radically different to this. Jesus says this to those that are his followers, those that make up church families like this. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Human beings have an incredible ability to be judgmental towards others. And yet Jesus says that his followers, those that love him and have trusted him and are following him, are meant to be different. They're meant to look and behave radically different to this. Now these words are from what is often called the Sermon on the Mount, which was a, a sermon that Jesus preached to people who had begun following him and perhaps were checking out what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And yet these words, do not judge, are also some of the most misquoted and most misunderstood words in the Bible both inside and outside of churches. So what does Jesus mean? What does it look like to not judge other people? What does that look like? What does that mean in practice? 
Well, let's read the section of the Sermon on the Mount that we're looking at today, which is Matthew chapter 7, 1 to 6. So this is part of a whole big, long raft of teaching that Jesus is giving to a group of people who have begun to follow him. They're checking out what it means to be uh, part of his family, part of his kingdom, those who follow him. And Jesus is teaching them about all different kinds of aspects of life. And this morning, if we're followers of Jesus, this includes us too. And so Jesus says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. So Jesus is describing how he expects those who are his followers to behave. He's speaking to people who've already decided to follow him or who are investigating what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And he's telling them what it looks like to be one of his followers, what he expects of them. And Jesus starts off by saying, do not judge. So what does he mean by the word judge? Well, the word judge can be used in all sorts of ways, and many of them positive and good ways. But the way Jesus is using it here and is referring to it here is in terms of being judgmental. And we can tell that from the context. Jesus is basically saying, do not be judgmental. In other words, don't have a critical spirit or a condemning attitude. Don't every time you talk about someone else, criticize them or run them down. And when you talk to the person yourself, don't point out all their faults and failings and condemn them. As tempting as that may be at times. Because if we do, says Jesus, if we do, then we're effectively inviting God to condemn us by pointing out all our faults and failings and failures and bad behavior. Look at what he says. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge God, In the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. When I, as a follower of Jesus, criticize and condemn another Christian, I'm forgetting that God has been merciful and gracious to me. And that he's withheld his condemnation of me. I'm focusing and I'm pointing out the sins of others whilst I'm forgetting that God has chosen to forgive me and he's chosen to declare me as being holy in his eyes because of Jesus. You see, when a person becomes a Christian and trusts in Jesus, it's because they've understood and accepted that they're under God's judgment and they're under God's condemnation. When a person trusts in Jesus, they're accepting that they're a sinner, that they've fallen short of God's perfect standard. They realize and they understand that God is holy, God is righteous, and that his character means that he must and he will punish sin. He wouldn't be God if he didn't do that. And that means being separated from God forever, not just in this life, but in the life to come, forever in what the Bible calls hell. And so because they realize that they're condemned by God, they're asking God to forgive them for their sins. That's what a person is doing when they become a Christian. They're they're putting their trust in Jesus. And the fact that he was punished on the cross instead of them, because he loved them. They're asking God to remove his judgment of their sin, because they know that when Jesus was there on the cross, he took their punishment instead. Jesus was condemned instead of them. 
So people who've become Christians shouldn't then judge others because they should be so very aware that it's only God's grace, it's only God treating them in a way that they don't deserve, that they've escaped God's judgment and condemnation. Hebrews 9, 27 says this, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. We're all destined to die, and after that to face God's judgment. But if we put our faith and if we put our trust in the Lord Jesus, who was sacrificed there on the cross to take away our sins, to bear God's our condemnation, God's condemnation against us, Jesus took it. If we put our trust in him, then we don't have to face God's wrath. We don't have to face God's condemnation anymore. We were condemned, but by trusting in Jesus, we are no longer condemned. So trusting in Jesus means that God won't judge me, God won't punish me, because he's already punished Jesus in my place there on the cross. That's largely what we were remembering this morning as we took bread and wine. We were remembering Jesus dying on the cross there for each one of us. So that we don't have to face God's wrath. God, Jesus was condemned so that we don't have to face God's condemnation. So the Christian who judges others and criticizes them and condemns them has forgotten that they have been forgiven. That they've escaped God's condemnation. Romans 8 verse 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, if we're in Christ Jesus, if we've trusted in Jesus, if we've been forgiven, we're no longer condemned. We were, but no more. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We, we were facing God's judgment. We were facing God's condemnation, God's wrath for our sins. But if we've trusted in Jesus, then we've been forgiven. And we've been made holy in the eyes of God. And that's been made possible because Jesus faced God's judgment. Jesus took our condemnation when he was crucified on the cross. And that's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that fantastic? That's the heart of the Christian message, what we call the gospel, which just means good news. That is why it's good news. I was condemned, but I'm no longer condemned because I've trusted in Jesus. Not because of anything I've done that's good, but because of everything that Jesus has done. And all that Jesus is and all that he's done for me. I'm no longer condemned. That's amazing. Everybody excited by that this morning? Don't look very excited. It's amazing. We are no longer condemned. If we're in Christ, there's no more condemnation. So if Jesus has taken my condemnation away, who am I to start judging and condemning other people? I can't be someone for whom there's no condemnation and at the same time be condemning towards other people. Those two things are not logically possible, is what Jesus is effectively saying. I can't be someone for whom there's no condemnation and at the same time be condemning towards others. And if I persist in a judgmental and condemning lifestyle towards others, then at the very least, I've not really understood what Jesus has done for me. So if we're Christians, if we're followers of Jesus this morning, then the way to prevent ourselves becoming judgmental towards others, becoming those who are condemning and finger-pointing, is to constantly remind ourselves what God has done for us through Jesus' death on the cross. If I'm reminding myself on a daily and a weekly basis that I deserve God's judgment, I deserve God's condemnation, but because of God's grace through Jesus, I've been forgiven and I've been made right with God, then that will help prevent me from becoming that self-righteous, judgmental, finger-pointing, condemning kind of person that I'm so inclined to be otherwise. So write this down on your outline. It's on the back of your bulletin. Write this down. I need to remind myself every day that Jesus has taken my punishment. 
Jesus has taken my punishment. And if I remind myself, if I keep that fresh in my mind, I will stay thankful to God. I will stay ever grateful for God's grace to me. But it will also help me and prevent me from becoming that finger-pointing, self-righteous, condemning kind of person. I am personally incredibly prone to be judgmental, but reminding myself that Jesus has taken my punishment there on the cross for me helps me prevent me from becoming judgmental and condemning towards others. And then Jesus changes tack slightly. And he challenges not only the double standards of judging other people and forgetting about God's grace towards us, he also challenges the double standards and the hypocrisy of pointing out the sins of others. I'm not pointing at anybody. (laughs) Pointing out the sins of others. Stop pointing. Pointing out the sins of others and the failures of others, whilst ignoring their own failures and sins. Look at what he says. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Now Jesus had been a carpenter, and he knew all about getting specks of sawdust in his eye, and probably there was many times when he had to ask Joseph or one of his brothers to help him get a speck out of his eye, or vice versa. And Jesus takes this kind of imagery, and he, and he uses extreme opposites of language to really kind of make his point to teach us something here. He deliberately contrasts this tiny, tiny speck of sawdust with a massive piece of timber that would have been used for uh, building construction. And he's using it to kind of make his point. These are extremes. And he says, look, you are focusing on something really small. It's important, but it's really small when at the same time you've got this massive issue in your own life that you're not even dealing with. You've got this building timber, this kind of, this timber which keeps the roof up in the second story of a house. You've got that in your eye and you're focusing on this tiny speck of sawdust in your brother's eye. It'd be like me having a go at someone here for being late for a church service. And at the same time, I'm helping myself to the funds from the church, and I'm being dishonest. Or maybe I'm you know, committing adultery. Two extremes. Utter hypocrisy, says Jesus. Jesus says this, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The word hypocrite in Jesus' day was originally used about actors. They would wear face masks and a little kind of voice box thing which would change their voice and obviously change how they looked. And it came to me, and as it does today, somebody who's living a double life, someone who's play-acting, pretending to be one thing or, or saying one thing and doing something quite different. Somebody who's saying one thing, pointing out the sins of others whilst ignoring their own sins. Now, notice that Jesus doesn't say that we shouldn't try to remove the speck from our brother's eye. In fact, he says that we should, and we're going to look at that in a moment. But what Jesus is saying in this verse is this, and write it down. I need to sort my own life out before I try to help other people. I need to sort my own life out before I start trying to help other people. And notice I've said help other people, not condemn other people. This isn't about condemning others, it's about helping others if and when we do. But before I even think about trying to help my brother or my sister, I need to sort the gaping massive plank out that's in my own eye first, whatever that might look like. So my focus needs to be on my own relationship with Jesus and making sure that I'm investing in that long before I start worrying about other people's problems and issues in their lives. And I need to sort my own life out, not so that I can then point out the failures in other people's life. I just need to sort my own life out so that I can thrive as a follower of Jesus and live the kind of life that pleases him. 
What Jesus is trying to move us away from here is the kind of lifestyle that is finger-pointing, condemning, and critical. That is not what a follower of Jesus should look like. And if they do look like that, and if they do live like that, then it's possible that they've either never really understood God's grace, or it's possible that they've never actually really experienced God's grace at all, and are possibly not actually a genuine, authentic follower of Jesus. Because trusting in Jesus brings transformation. Jesus says, by their fruit you will know them. And if we're the same as we were before we trusted in Jesus, then it's questionable whether we really have trusted in Jesus, because we will and we must change. Not immediately, not completely. We will never be perfect in this life until we see Jesus face to face. But there will be a change. There has to be a change. There has to be transformation. When we experience God's grace, God treating us in a way that we don't deserve by forgiving us and making us holy and giving us this wonderful relationship with himself and giving us eternal life, then God's grace should turn us into gracious people. People who are inspired by God's grace to live lives that are gracious towards others. We're gracious towards others because we've experienced God's grace. Well, that's what we should do. That's how it should be. When we experience God's grace, we will change from being those finger-pointing, condemning, and critical people towards others to being people who want to help others, people who want the best for others. And that help will include helping people with their failures and their failings and with the sin in their life. If I've experienced God's grace, then I want to help my fellow Christian brother or sister to get rid of the things in their lives that are sinful, that are damaging to them, to to others, and their relationship with God. So it's not wrong for me to want to help you if I see you sinning or or failing or falling in some way. If, If I see sin in your life, if you see sin in my life, that kind of speck of sawdust, as it were, then I should want to help you remove it. And you should want to help me remove it from my life. If you've got a real speck of sawdust in your eye, then it can cause a lot of pain, can't it? It might be something really small, but it can still cause an incredible amount of discomfort and problems. And you need to get it out. And similarly, if you've got things in your life that are sinful, and I can see them, then I should want to try and help you deal with those and vice versa. The key issue here is our motive. If my motive in pointing out the speck in your eye is to put you down and to condemn you, then I've got that wrong. And the likelihood is that my real motive, if I'm doing that, in pointing out your sin is to make me feel better because when I focus on your failings, which is probably all too easy, then it it deflects away my failings and I don't have to address the problems in my life. It makes me feel better about myself. And so often when we're pointing out the failings of others, that's what is really behind it. But if my motive is love for you, And to help you alter your behavior and move you away from sin so that you can be more obedient to Jesus and live that kind of life that he wants you to live. If that is my motive, and if I do that whilst humbly acknowledging my own struggles and my own failures, and if I come to you as one broken person trying to help another broken person, then that's good. This passage often gets misquoted by people. There will be times in the life of a local church like this one when a person's behavior is sinful and it needs challenging and it needs dealing with but often when that happens people will say things like well who am i to judge or well you know it's not for us to judge is it or we mustn't judge others you know and really what they're saying or what they mean when they say that is i don't want to have to have an awkward conversation with someone 
I don't like confrontation. But no one does, and, or if we do, there's something wrong with us. That there's a whole load of things that Jesus is not saying here about judging that we sometimes say he is or would like to think that he is. There's a whole load of things that Jesus is not saying about judging. So let's be really clear. Jesus is not saying that we should not be discerning or hold opinions about what is right and wrong. Jesus is not saying that. That is just postmodern claptrap. There is truth, there is right, there is wrong. And Jesus is not saying that we should not be discerning or hold opinions about what is right and wrong. Who am I to judge? We should absolutely make judgments about what is right and wrong. And that will sometimes lead to us having to take a stand on things that make us unpopular with others. And Jesus is not saying that we should say nothing about the wrongs that people do. That's not what Jesus is saying. If we're asked what the Bible says, then we need to be truthful and say what the Bible says about right and wrong. Jesus is not saying that we should not challenge sinful behavior. There are many, many verses that stress the importance of challenging sinful behavior in other people, in other Christians. And Jesus is not saying that we should not discipline those that refuse to stop sinning in a church context. Again, the Bible has a whole load to say about, dis- about disciplining Christians who refuse to stop behaving in a sinful way. Church discipline is always a last resort. It's always the very last thing you do. And as, as one of the elders and as part of a team of elders here, it's the last thing we ever want to do. But sometimes it becomes what we need to do and what we must do. Because if a Christian is, is proclaiming that they love Jesus and yet is living in a way which is completely incompatible with that and incompatible with their membership of this church or with another church, then as a last resort, sometimes we will need to bring church discipline. Jesus is not saying that we should not make judgments about people and then relate to them accordingly. We need to be wise. We need to make right judgments about what other people say, how they live, and what they do. And then we need to relate to them accordingly. For instance, in two weeks' time, we're going to see that Jesus tells us to make judgments about church leaders and and Bible teachers, people who are in church leadership, and that we need to judge what they're teaching and whether what they're preaching is true or not. And then if they're not, we need to keep away from them. They're Jesus' own words. In two weeks' time, we're going to look at that. So Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't make judgments about people and then relate to them accordingly. And and, and lastly, Jesus is not saying that we need to be sinless and perfect because we never will be this side of heaven before we try to help others. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying you can't try to help this person with their struggle until you're perfect because we never will be. That's not what Jesus is saying. So what Jesus is saying is that we should absolutely be people who make judgments, but that we should absolutely not be people who are judgmental. And those two things are very different. There's a world of difference between being someone who makes right judgments about people and things and somebody who is judgmental. If I see you with the equivalent of a speck in your eye, I wouldn't be a loving Christian brother if I ignored it and if I left that in your eye and did nothing to try and help you. And if I see you sinning in some way or other, or, or struggling with a sinful pattern of behavior, then I need to try to help you with that. That's what it means to love my Christian brother or sister. And you need to try and help me if you see me struggling or, or failing or, or falling in some way. You know, Christians are prone to either two ways of behaving when it comes to this kind of thing. We either jump in and, and we point the finger at people and we become condemning and critical towards others, 
we behave in a critical and judgmental way, or we stand back and we do nothing, and we say nothing, and we hide behind phrases like, do not judge, or who am I to judge? We completely misunderstand what Jesus is saying. The biblical way is neither of those two things. The biblical way to act is to make sure I'm constantly repenting of the sins in my own life that I become aware of. And then when I see sin in someone else's life, then I humbly and gently and lovingly bring that to their attention in the hope that they will turn away from sin and live the way that Jesus wants them to live. That is the biblical way. Really difficult, really hard to do, but that is the biblical way. To hide behind, oh, who am I to judge? Postmodern claptrap, not biblical. To jump in and finger point, not biblical. To humbly, lovingly, gently come and try to bring God's gentle touch is the biblical way. To ignore sinful behavior in another Christian is not Christ-like and it's not biblical. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the German church leader of the 1930s, said this, Nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. And in case you don't think that this is a biblical truth, look at what Paul says to Timothy, who was a young church leader. And this is just one of many verses which teach the same thing. Paul says this to Timothy, he says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Church leaders and fellow Christians, not just church leaders, will sometimes need to correct and sometimes need to rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. We will sometimes need to correct each other, we will sometimes need to rebuke each other, and we will sometimes need to encourage one another. But we should always do these things, as Paul says, with great patience and careful instruction, to which we could also add great humility. So, write this down. I need to be prepared to challenge other Christians. I need to be prepared to do that. It is not loving to live to leave my fellow brother or sister in a sinful pattern of lifestyle. That is not the loving thing to do. But how we do that takes great care. We should absolutely be people who make judgments and are prepared to challenge others. But we should absolutely not be people who are judgmental. And as I look back over my life, I can think of a number of times when other Christians have challenged me about my behavior, and sometimes they did this well, sometimes it was not so well, but those challenges, as I look back in general, are actually a great help to me, to, make, to help me stop and think. I didn't always appreciate what they said at the time, I didn't always like being challenged, but often those rebukes, those challenges, were often a great help for me to adapt my own behavior so that I hopefully became a little bit more like Jesus than I was. Now, as people who have to make judgments and, and, uh, about people and about situations, we need to also sometimes decide not to challenge those who we might want to speak into their lives. Sometimes the right thing to do is not to challenge, not to speak into people's lives. Look at what Jesus says in verse 6. Strange verse, it seems, at first. Je- Jesus says this, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Now, what on earth does this mean? Well, the dogs Jesus was referring to were wild dogs that roamed the streets and they were scavenging the countryside for food and and they were dangerous. 
And pigs, of course, were considered to be unclean by Jews. And, and pigs can become quite violent. I spent a summer working on a pig farm when I left school. And, and pigs can be really, really dangerous. You might not think that, but they genuinely can. You take a piglet away from a sow and she will charge for you. She will go for you. Pigs can be really dangerous. And what Jesus is saying is this, I think. That, if you d- that don't give something to a wild dog who will just tear it to pieces. Because he's not discerning. He'll just tear something sacred to pieces. And you don't give a precious thing like a pearl to a pig because they're more interested in just foraging for food than in something precious like a pearl. I think what Jesus is saying is this, that not everyone will welcome what we have to say to them. Not everybody will want to hear what we have to say to them. Not everyone that we think might benefit from our input and our challenge will always want to hear what we have to say to them, nor will they always be interested they will be like that dog or that pig who will just tear it to pieces or trample on it underfoot. They don't, they're not ready to hear what we've got to say. So we've got to exercise great judgment about whether or not it's right to try and speak into someone's life or whether it's the right time to do that. Not everybody is ready to hear what we have to say and not everybody will be ready to listen to what we have to say. And that's true when we're speaking to non-Christians about the good news of Jesus as well. Some people are just looking for an argument. They're not really interested in what we believe. They're just setting us up for an argument. We need to have great wisdom about whether we get involved with that. It takes great discernment, great judgment at times. So we need to judge what the best thing to do is. We need to be discerning, and we need to pray and ask for God to really guide us. Should I speak into this person's life or not? Is this the right time to do this? So I need to be discerning. Write this down. I need to be discerning about who I try to help, be they Christian or non-Christian. Are they ready to hear what I will say? I think the context here is primarily uh, other Christians. It's not our business as Christians to judge non-Christians. God, that's between them and God. Our business is with, with, with fellow Christians. I think that's the context primarily here. But this is true as we speak to non-Christians too. Not every non-Christian is ready to hear what we have to say to them. Assuming that I'm challenging them, fellow Christians, for all the right reasons and that I'm not being a hypocrite and that I'm humbly acknowledging my own shortcomings, are they ready to hear what I'm humbly trying to say to them? Or will they trample on what I'm saying? And more worryingly, will they turn on me? Making that judgment call is often really difficult. And we need to take time to pray and think before we speak to someone and and, and really get a sense of what God is, is leading us to do. Let's just take a few moments to reflect on what we've been saying this morning. Just to think and and to hear what God is saying to us. Are you somebody this morning that's prone to be self-righteous and condemning? If that's you, it's me, so maybe it's you also. Then take a fresh look at Jesus there on the cross, being condemned so that you wouldn't be condemned by God. Are you someone who needs to deal with unconfessed sin in your life? You're a follower of Jesus, but you know this stuff that you've not dealt with, you've not repented of, or that you're, you're living out right at this moment. Have you got a plank in your own eye that needs removing? Is God calling you to be bold and speak into another Christian's life, albeit with great humility and gentleness? And if God is speaking to you about one of these areas of your life, then can I encourage you, to respond to whatever he's saying to you. It may be this morning that you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. You're, you're here checking out, you know, what is this all about? Who is Jesus? What does it really mean to follow him? If that's you this morning and you'd like to know more about how to receive God's forgiveness, how to no longer face the condemnation of God, 
and to move into that wonderful place, that wonderful freedom of being uh, no longer under condemnation, but being accepted, being free, to be a child of God. If that's you this morning, if you would like to know more about that, what that looks like, what that means, how you do that, then by all means, I'd love to chat with you afterwards. Please come and do come and chat with me, or perhaps chat with the folks who brought you or you came with today. Let's just bow our heads for a few moments. It's going to take a few moments to reflect on what God is saying to us. I'm going to pray, and then Ryan and the band are going to lead us in a final song. So let's just bow our heads, close our eyes maybe, just come before God. Just a few moments of silence, just to hear and receive what God is saying. God is speaking to you today, don't ignore his voice. Father, we come to you this morning, we thank you that though we were once under condemnation, thank you that if we've trusted in Jesus, we are no longer condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We want to praise you, we want to thank you, we want to worship you for your love and your grace to us this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that you died, that you took the condemnation so that we don't have to. Thank you that we are free indeed if we are in a relationship with you. Thank you for that wonderful grace. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy to us. We praise you. We worship you. Help us, Lord, we pray, as those who have received your grace, to live out your grace and be gracious to others. Help us not to be finger-pointing, condemning, critical people. Help us to always have the best interests of others in our hearts. Help us to remove those planks, those unconfessed sins, those things that we need to repent of. But also help us, Lord, to have a a love for others around us. Help us to want to help others. And give us wisdom, we pray, so that we might do that uh, in your ways. And we might get that right. And we might be a blessing to those around us. Help us, we pray. We thank you for your grace. We worship you together.